This episode is brought to you by Jackson Hewitt. This year, there's more at stake with your taxes than ever. Thousands more. New tax credits could mean a bigger refund. And Jackson Hewitt Tax Pros are here to help you track down every last credit. Credits for having a baby, going back to school, caring for a parent, and even becoming self-employed. Get credit for all you do, and you could discover thousands of dollars in new tax credits. Schedule an appointment with a tax pro and learn more at jacksonhewitt.com. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Salman Ali at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by Dave Hardesty of Clutch Fans. How you doing, Dave? Good, Salman. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right. So we have a lot to get into to today, but let's start with the draft. So I talked about it last week, but I loved what Houston did at the draft, and more than anything, it's starting to become clear what Houston's vision is for this rebuild. Like they are going to take the highest upside bets on talent that they can and hope one of one of them ends up being the gem, like the centerpiece for the next great Rockets team. And like no three players represent this more than Kevin Porter Jr., Jalen Green, and Alperon Singun. Like to me, all three of those players have insane upside but come with risks in one form or another. And the Rockets looked at them and said, all we need is one. If one of these players hits in the biggest possible way, we have our centerpiece. And let's start at the top of the draft with Jalen Green. I'm not sure if I asked you... Uh, when you were on the last podcast, but were you a Green or Mobley guy? Um, I was Mobley, but for me, they were both really, really good. I didn't think they could go wrong, so I never felt like, okay, this is going to be a mistake if they don't go Mobley, but I did lean towards Mobley. Uh, I just that, that type of player type was what I think would be awesome for the Rockets, but at the same time, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm on board with Jalen Green. I like this pick. Uh, I mean, I like the player that they've added, and uh, – you know, I think there's tremendous upside here with with what the Rockets have. So I was a Mobley guy too, but the Rockets clearly look at Green and see something more than just an All Star ceiling. Like they think he can be like a top ten level guy in the NBA. And while I look at him and see like Zach Levine, who was you know like a very good player, I think Houston looks at him and sees like a bigger Bradley Beal. And if that's their calculation, I can see why Green may be hard to pass up on. Either that or they're just not as high on Mobley as the consensus. Overall, though, um, I'm with you. I did like this pick. I may have picked Mobley, but I think anyone in that second tier after Cade has a really solid case for number two. Yeah, you know, and I it's funny. I, I hear the Zach Levine comparison a lot. And, I mean, certainly if you got a guy like Zach Levine, you wouldn't necessarily be complaining. But I think it took Zach, you know, several years to sort of be what he is now. I mean, he's always been kind of, you know, an offensive minded uh, fast and quick kind of explosive player. But I, I think you, you nailed it. I think they have even bigger hopes for uh, Jalen green than that. And, you know, that's, that's really what I think justifies taking him over Mobley. I don't think just looking at what he is today justifies it. I think you have to be looking at, you know, his drive and can he become a better defensive player and, uh, GM Rafael Stone has talked about that, you know, even directly at the press conference as saying, you know, uh, we're going to work on that and, you know, a better passer, a better playmaker and and also sort of proving that his shot is 
legit. I think that was maybe a question mark for him coming out of high school. I mean, he was a, uh, a good shooter, but they wondered how it would hold up. He shot over, I think, around 36, 36.5% from three-point range at the G League. So we want to see that as well. I think with him, it's sort of the intangibles, the things that he may not have in his bag right now, but you you think he will eventually. And, um, you know, so the, the honestly, his ceiling is very, very high. And that's the hope is that he can become even more than he is right now. And it's hard not to love Jalen Green the person, right? Like like every interview, this guy just oozes with insane level of confidence. Like he re- legitimately thinks he is the best prospect in this draft. And he feels slighted that he wasn't taken at number one. And he has all these lofty ex- you know, expectations. He wants to be rookie of the year. Uh, he wants to be all defense. Although I think that's partly like his agent, like posturing him, like telling him like, you should probably say this because it tells people that we're working on the defense, right? Because that is a... That is a question mark with his game, and I think he's very calculating when he says that. Um, he says he wants to be all NBA, all that stuff, and that's great. And uh, I think Houston looks at that and says, you know, all these areas, you know, that people criticize him for, or you know, areas of his game where he's lacking, you know, the defense, the playmaking, etc. We think we can, imp- we he can improve in all those areas, and we think he has that drive to get better as a as an overall player. Yeah, I think that's exactly the mentality the Rockets have with it. And yes, I agree with you. It was confusing to me when he would talk about, I think, an interview um, just before the draft about bringing a defensive mentality to the Rockets. And I was confused by that because it's honestly not his strength. I'm not trying to say he's a terrible defensive player, but you know, you would not draft him for his defense. I mean, you would if it was a defensive player you're looking for, you would go with Mobley as far as right now. Um, but yeah, I think that's his agent talking. Yeah, exactly. But I think he has that sort of will to win that, that, that will to, like you said, be the best player. Um, he wants to win rookie of the year. I think he's, I think he's going to have NBA championship aspirations throughout his career. He wants to achieve the highest level uh, possible. And I think that's, that's a lot of what you're banking on by taking him over Evan Mobley. And for what it's worth, like, I don't think the effort there is lacking on defense. It's just, you know, he, he doesn't move the, the the best east to west and he has short arms and like those are limitations that he's just going to have to get better at moving and you know he's going to grow into his body a little bit so like those are things that you can improve but like he does try and i i, I never got the sense watching him uh in the g league like i i, I never got the sense that there, there wasn't an effort there yeah, it's it's really going to be interesting this season in general, especially if some sort of resolution, whether it's a trade, knock on wood, or a, a buyout with John Wall, and the Rockets do run heavy minutes with KPJ and Jalen Green. I mean, on paper or just the eye test, those that's not going to be much of a defensive backcourt. I mean, you've got decent size, but that you know Kevin Porter Jr. did not have a strong defensive year. I think he had no. a lot of Harden like you know early in Harden's career uh, lapses. And, um, you know, Jalen Green's a rookie. So, you know, defensively, I think there's going to be some real problems. I'm, I'm very curious to see how he does as a rookie in the league offensively. How, you know, are, he's, he's going to have a lot to do to grow and everything, but is he going to be able to square up against NBA-level defenders and, you know, use that first step to get to the basket pretty easily and, you know, step backs and knock down threes? Uh, you know, it's not going to be this you know dominating effort in year one, but I am very curious to see how he already at 19 years old matches up with with NBA level guys. So let's talk about what the Rockets did at 16, 
And obviously they traded away the protected Detroit pick that they got in the Christian Wood deal and the protected first that they got in the Westbrook deal for Alperin Singoon. And it's interesting. I actually found out yesterday how aggressive they were for Singoon. So we know, we know they had talked to Indiana for the 13th pick, but it turns out they had conversations with like teams uh, from number six down to 16 where they ended up making the deal. Like that's 11 teams. Like you're talking about a ludicrous amount of phone calls that they had to make before the draft to get a deal done. And it's not it's not like they were trying to get someone else. Like they weren't doing this for Kaminga or Scotty Barnes or even Davion Mitchell. Like it seems clear to me that they were singularly focused on drafting Singoon. And that's why you saw the wrong hat shenanigans with OKC. Uh, Houston d- didn't think Sangoon was going to fall to 16. Like they kept that trade on hold until it was clear that he was going to fall to 16. And then they made the deal. And it's interesting how polarizing Sangoon is as a prospect. Like most people you talk to think he's going to be a really good starter with all-star upside or an Enos Cantor level bench player. <laughs> Right. Seldom do you talk to someone who has like an opinion in the middle of that. Like I'm probably more in that first camp. Like I'm really, really high on Sangoon. I think interesting. Yeah. I think he's a crazy skilled player and I think he has a nice feel for the game. I I had him in my top seven prospects this year. Good. And and I could see him making an all-star team one day. I really do. Like, I think he's that good. What side of things do you stand on? I, I, my, my, my guess is the way you were uh, speaking throughout that, that you probably, Land more in the second camp? Or am, I, am, I, am I wrong? <laughs> yeah, it- no, 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 you are correct. I, I I was not high on him. I will say, you know, I did not do a deep dive on Alperen Shangun. I mean, I, I watched some highlights and I studied strengths, weaknesses in, in watching highlights. And I do, as I generally do in the draft, is fit players into sort of prototypes or how they would fit in the league, how, how their skill set, their strengths and their weaknesses fit into the league. And, you know, so sometimes the guys that I like don't necessarily pan out. Sometimes guys that I don't like do pan out. And it wasn't a question of like, you know, can Shangoon's uh, post skills and post moves translate to the league or anything of that nature. It For me, it's just looking at just post players, guys who are predominantly post players and are potentially, and again, I, I can't say this for sure about Shangoon, but that potentially are a very weak defensive player. And, you know, no current three-point range. I think we it's probably safe to say he'll develop that. Um, you know, we'll see. But it, it's it's a matter of can these guys thrive in the league? And I, I brought up Cantor as an example in, in an article I wrote about it. And I think you have to look at a guy like Jaleel Okafor as well. And, again, I'm not saying Alperen Shangun is Jaleel Okafor. But I'm just saying that's the fear is that this is a guy who, um, you know, wants to, to challenge post players and score inside in the post at that percentage of getting two pointers. And then on the other end is giving up, you know, a higher points per possession. That's my fear with him. But I think I've in time quickly after the draft, you know, overcome some of that. Part of it is just that the Rockets targeted him so highly. Um, So, you know, if he can add three point range and be passable on defense, then yeah, I do think you have a very high ceiling player. I mean, I think then you, then you would look at comps more like a Sabonis, you know, or, or or something even higher than that. And I don't think, you know, sometimes people compare his passing and it is a pretty solid, he's a pretty solid passer to Jokic. And I don't think you can go that far, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, there are a lot of guys that I respect and, and you would be in that group as well that put him very highly. Um, and so, you know, maybe I, I was wrong in that regard. I, I definitely put him 
going into the draft on a list of guys that I preferred to see go ahead of the Rockets at 23. Yeah, and listen, like I guess the question you have to ask yourself when watching Sengun, right, uh, is how good would Kevin Love do in today's NBA? Like, like would if Kevin Love was healthy and still in his prime, right? How valuable is that kind of player in today's NBA? Is that player still like? Does that player still have a spot on a championship level team? Does that player get played off the floor in the playoffs? Does that player, you know, his rebounding and his touch and his feel for the game? Does that does that all that stuff outweigh what he isn't as a defensive player? I guess that's the question you have to ask yourself when you're watching Sangoon. And again, like this is one of those swings that star talent that I talked about. Like there were quote unquote safer players to take at that 16 position. Like the Rockets are banking that Singoon hits the higher end of his upside. And it reminds me of something Daryl Morey would have done in like 2010. Like it's kind of like the Sergio Yule trade. And the the downside back then was whether or not Sergio would ever come over. And the downside here is just how much of a disaster might Sengun end up being defensively. And I don't think he'll end up being a disaster. I really like that Houston is taking these bets because I personally think those two first were mystery boxes anyways. Like I think Sam Presti seems to value those boxes more than Sengun as a prospect. And it will be interesting to see who ultimately wins that bet, like Houston or OKC. Yeah, I think you you summed it up nicely. I I think the part of the reason I wasn't extremely upset with it. Now I will say when they in the moment when they made the trade and it, it was it, information is coming in real time and very fast. You know, reports of two first round picks and then you know I liked Jalen Johnson on the board. Kai Jones was there as well. He wasn't necessarily my favorite, but th- there were guys that I I had a little higher, and I thought Jalen Johnson would have been ideal. But I think when you look at it. And as you said, here's a guy in Alperin Shangun who does have a very high ceiling. Now, maybe he doesn't translate to the league, but he does have – he could be a star player. He's, he's that type of prospect. Um, you're not going to ever, I don't think, be able to get it with either of those two heavily protected first-round picks, which I think were the probably the two worst first-round picks as far as future value that they had um, you know, to offer. And it, it really worked out perfectly because OKC was a team that had so many picks this year that, and they didn't have that high end guy necessarily, unless you consider Josh Giddy that, that they could afford to give up a pick or that not just afford, they needed to do it to keep kicking the can down the road and add to their first pick arsenal so that when it comes, you know, the time that they can pounce on a high end star, they, you know, they have the assets to do it. If they had just drafted somebody that they didn't, they weren't super high on um, at that point. It's just, you know, it's no longer the value for them. So it worked out, I think, in, in my opinion, well for both teams. I don't think the Rockets would get a prospect as as valued as Alper and Shangun with either of those two picks even combined. So it worked out really well. Yeah, and I was actually surprised that San Antonio ended up passing on uh, Sangoon because th- that's that's the kind of team that would take a chance on Sangoon, right? And and he fits everything that they've always done, right? I mean, he's the type of player you think that would go to San Antonio, exactly. And they ended up and swore and swerved the entire NBA and took Primo there. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure how I feel about that. Uh, you never want to doubt, you know, San Antonio scouting and player development, but man, that was a reach. <laughs> that was yeah. a. 
I, it was really the ones that threw me off were Giddy at six, Zaire Williams at 10, and then Primo at, I mean, Primo at 12. My jaw hit the floor. So I was loving it up to 12. And I really wanted to see Cam Thomas, uh, you know, go before the Rockets and, and Sharif Cooper as well. And neither did. And, but it still worked out uh, for Usman Garuba and Jaden Springer, two guys I was pretty high on. Uh, to be available at, at 23. So it, it, we have to thank the Spurs in a very small way for taking Primo. And he may, he may be great. He may turn out, who knows, but as far as, you know, forecasting and mock drafts and all those things, Primo going 12 is what pushed Garuba to 23. Yeah. I was thrown off by like Scotty Barnes be going to Toronto at four, like Orlando came out of this draft with Jalen Suggs at five and Franz Wagner at eight. Like they had a really good draft because teams just reached and took players. I guess we can't even know if they're reaches yet, right? Because it's still really, really early. But um, it, that threw me off. Like, like From number five on, it was just comedy. Like I, I had no idea where players were going. And it seemed like a lot. there were a lot of Mavericks in this draft. <laughs> you know, a lot of the guys I think that I was hoping would fall to 23, they went before. Um, and it, like I said, it just worked out that, one guy that I didn't expect to go before um, in my just on my board and that being Primo um, helped push some of that down. I knew that if even if everything went to chalk or how I thought would be worst case scenario for the Rockets, um, that there would still be some good prospects at 23 and 24. I, I valued those picks because I I did think the Rockets had a, had a good chance to get solid role players, if not better than that, um, at those picks. But I thought the guys that did end up being available there were pretty high upside. Yeah. So Houston ended up selecting Usman Garuba and Josh Christopher with the 23rd and 24th pick. I'm going to go ahead and give Houston like half credit for this because like, I don't think anyone expected Garuba to be here at 23 (laughs) and I'm not sure if I would have taken Christopher at 24. I like, I think I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take Houston's word for it and that they probably didn't solely draft Christopher for the relationship aspect. But I, I, I can't imagine that that didn't play any part in their decision making. I, I, I do think that that played a role. Um, I think what will probably ended up happening is there were tier guys that they were looking at at 24 and they chose Christopher and the tiebreaker was a relationship aspect end of things. Um, That's possible. Well, yeah. Overall, though, I think Garuba at 23 is fantastic value and a nice little capper for what ended up being a really exciting draft night for Houston. Like, they went into this with three picks, so we knew they were going to be active. But, you know, draft day trades fall through all the time. And, and when they selected Sangoon at 16, at least I thought, you know, that that they were going to end up losing 23 and 24. I thought that they were going to give those picks away. And they managed to keep that and, and trading these two protected first-round picks away. And look, the Rockets are actually a young team this year. Like they have six players on this main roster under the age of 25. And last year they had two. Like last year they were a fake young team. Like last year they were that team when you listen to League Pass, the opposing team's uh, broadcast would talk about the Rockets being a young team. And I would kind of cringe. I'm like, who's young here? So like like, like Kevin Porter Jr. is young. He's he, He's a young player. He's 20 years old. KJ Martin is young. Everybody else is 25 years or older. That always confused me. But now they are a legitimately young team. Uh, So they're going to be really fun to watch this year at Summer League and an interesting league pass team on the whole. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about Garuba, but I love that pick in general. I think, you know, they have 
really what they ended up taking was a bunch of high upside. As you mentioned, 19 year olds, they're very young. They've got more picks down the line. They've got, you know, their own pick in 2022, their own pick in 2023, unprotected. They've got uh, Brooklyn's next year with the possibility to flip uh, with Miami's, you know, with a little asterisk there because of the lottery protection on that aspect. And then they've got Milwaukee's in 2023. And even though those don't have, much of a probability of being in the lottery in either season, you never know if they are unprotected. So they are in such a unique position with what they have at their roster, the age and the window that they have. I, all I, all I ask for in the Rockets now going into this free agency and trade period is just slow down. Don't jump into trying to, to contend if this happens organically, great, but you know, don't, sign those guys and, and, you know, give up your future cap space beyond two years, you know, to, to win a few extra games right now. Let's, let's let these guys grow. Let's see where they fall in the next couple of drafts. And this team has a chance to build something special because the roadmap suggests it. Yeah. And if I were Houston, I would just go into training camp with a, let's just see what we got approach. Like, let's just see what, what kind of roster we have here. Let's just see how good we are and and let that dictate what we do during the season. I don't think they're going to make any long-term moves, but like, I think, you know, like in terms of trying to win next season, I don't think that's off the table. Like, I think the fact that they traded up for Sangoon kind of gives them some space here, like in that they don't have to have a lottery pick next year. They, they, they got their lottery pick essentially, this year, right? They got two lottery picks this season. I could easily see them going like eight in the draft next year, right? Instead of, you know, number one. Uh, I, I think they could they could hop some of these teams at the bottom of the, the NBA. And I don't think they're going to make, I don't think they're going to sign like long-term. I, I don't think they're going to, you know, be a buyout team, for example, right? I don't think they're going to spend their mid-level exception on a um, a 30-year-old or something like that. Like, I, I, I think at this point, they are taking their approach to free agency is going to be, and I guess we can talk about that now. They made two signings and none of them are going to make headlines. And that's probably how it's going to be for the next couple of seasons as Houston waits for John Wallace contract to expire so they can become a cap space team again. And I guess that's kind of the framing for free agency, right? Like John Wallace contract and the picks that they have out to OKC loom so largely over this rebuild that Houston kind of has to plan around it. And I tweet about this, but like the Rockets have to ask themselves two questions every time they sign a new contract. Does this hurt cap flexibility and can it be traded? Like for Houston, David Nwaba at three years, 15 million and Daniel Tice at four years, 36 million. Check the right boxes, assuming that there are significant non-guarantees at the end of Tice's contract. Like I think those are reasonable deals that can be moved you know, later on down the line or Houston's fine keeping those contracts as a wait and see and wait if until the next superstar becomes available, we can start aggregating contracts. I think that's kind of where Houston, that's kind of how Houston approaches the offseason. Let's not sign any contract that can't be traded and let's not hurt the possibility of having cap space in 23 and 24. At Vanguard, we know that this is more than just a retirement plan. This is your cappuccino date in Italy, the beach house with the matching bicycles. It's your rental car down memory lane and weekends reuniting with friends from over the years. This is the future you imagined, and we're here to help you build it. Because at Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. Discover the value of ownership at Vanguard.com. 
fund shareholders own the funds that own Vanguard. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, any guy that you sign, you know, it could be a 10-year deal, and even though it's physically impossible, it, so long as it's very attractive and, and very tradable, you're fine. But I will say that the Tice contract threw me for a little bit of a loop. I mean, Wamba fits fits perfectly because it's two years, the third year team option, but Tice's is three years with a fourth year option. Um, so you are leaning on that aspect that you pointed out is, is it tradable? And is Daniel Tice uh, movable in a year or, and I don't want to, you know, reverse or change the topic for, for your podcast necessarily, but you brought this point up about, I don't know, several months ago. And I remember a lot of people kind of uh, criticizing you for it, but you know, the possibility of trading Christian Wood. And if you add Daniel Tice, I'm not saying he's necessarily your starting center, but you do have to think about the future. And Christian Wood is two years, um, you know, he's got two years left and it's not a rush as far as playing him, but if you were going to get max value, it could be at this deadline. It, it, it definitely would be, it's the value would, would, I should say decline after this next off season. So you have to make a decision. I think on Christian Wood, is he part of your long-term plan? Because if he plays as well as you expect, he's probably going to want a significant 30 plus million dollar a year deal. And is that something you want to do on this rebuild? Yeah. And I've backtracked a little bit on my trade Christian Wood stance. Like I, I think they have the flexibility to kind of keep him and try to win next season if that's the kind of direction they want to go in. Because again, winning helps elevate some of these contracts, right? Like I don't think anyone talks about this point enough. Like when you win games in the NBA, the contracts on your team look better and more tradable, right? So someone like Eric Gordon looks better if the Rockets are winning next season. And if the Rockets are truly trying to become a cap space team or just become just clear their books a little bit, and get some assets back for Eric Gordon. Like that's kind of the ideal scenario, right? Like you start off the season winning, and then when you get to a point mid-season, we're like, okay, we've 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 done all our winning. Then you can go ahead and put Eric Gordon on the market and and see what see what comes out of it because teams will look at that and say, look, look the Rockets are overachieving, and a lot of it is because of Eric Gordon. A lot of it is because of Christian Wood, and your assets become more enticing. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that aspect. I think playing these guys and, and you know, Eric Gordon's value, I, you know, just given the way the season ended and he, you know, sat out the whole time, is it where it could be? You you know, maybe playing him in, uh, you know, a month or, or more rises his, brings his value to a point where it's, you know, easier to trade it, I should say. I think right now they've probably run into some, some walls here and there are trying to no pun intended to try to trade some of these guys. So um, yeah, that's a, a very valid point. I just think it, you know, in the Rockets trying to play this perfectly, they have so many things to balance their cap room in 2023, 24, their draft picks and, you know, deciding who is part of your long-term plan and who isn't. And I think the, the first person you would put, on the, at the top of that list, the question you would ask is, is Christian Wood part of that? Because there's going to be some b- debate, I promise. And I, he's a very good player. Um, I think defensively, he's still got a lot of growing to do. I, I, you know, I don't think he's where DeMarcus Cousins thought he was at the start of the year last year. Um, and he's shown a lot of progress and development. There's uh, so much potential in Christian Wood. 
but it's determining now you've got Shangun, you've got Garuba, um, you know, you added Tice. It, it's just one of the fascinating things, in my opinion, to watch the development of young guys and young bigs. Some of the young bigs that are going to be in the in the draft, uh, you know, the next couple of years and deciding where Christian Wood fits into your long term plans. Yeah. And I don't want to hammer this point home too much because I think the listeners probably know where I stand on this. Uh, and I, I don't want to annoy anybody, but like here's where I'll end things like the start of the start of next season, right? Not this upcoming season, but next season, the Rockets young core is going to be 20 years old. Christian Wood will be 27, right? Like, so you have to think about that stuff as you build out this team and you'll have one year left on his contract where all these other guys will still be on their rookie deals. So like, I don't know how you don't discuss the idea of moving him. It, like, you don't have to ultimately end up moving him, but I don't know how you can be so dismissive of the idea, considering what I just laid out. Yeah, it, that's right, and it's it's uh, it's so interesting to me. I I don't know if it's interesting as much to your listeners, but it's so interesting to me to look at the NBA and how important contracts are. Because if if it's an overpaid contract, you people don't you know they they can't fit and understand the the value of the player because the the contract overshadows it and it's so important when you're building a team that those two to three max contracts that you collect are truly foundation pieces and i i look at philly as a, a classic example you've got joel Embiid, and everyone's criticizing philly as as you know why can't you do this and you know that but well look at look at who you've got I mean, you've got Tobias Harris eating up 35 to 40 million a season. You've got Ben Simmons doing something similar. And they're two. I mean, I, Harris is a, an elite role player, if you will. And Ben Simmons is, you know, Ben Simmons. I don't necessarily need to get into that. But, you know, and as a result, they're handcuffed. And so it's just you have to think about the future as in is Christian Wood that guy? Because he's going to want that kind of money at that point. And so you have to think ahead and not just sign and trade him for a second round pick when you decide he's not part of your your long term plan. You have to think ahead, and I, I'm sure the Rockets are, um, but it's going to take a, a very good offer to um, you know pry him away from the Rockets at this point. I, I kind of want to end the podcast talking about lineups for Houston next season, but before we get there, I this is kind of off to, off topic, but so Kemba Walker got bought out this week and the first person i thought about when that happened was you and (laughs) because i know you looked at that and and the wheels kind of started spinning in your head what went through your head when kemba walker got bought out it was if they can't move kemba walker then john wall's gonna get bought out i mean that's that was my my thinking and my fear so um and it may be inevitable because the rockets have already made a decision similar to this where they took pennies on the dollar for Victor Oladipo simply because they wanted to develop Kevin Porter Jr. And I, I tweeted out about that right away because that's exactly what I was told. And, um, I, you know, I think people were questioning that and, and a little bit. And But it's absolutely the truth. It was one of the driving forces where they, they couldn't find the deal. that They thought they had a deal. Did It kind of fell through. They couldn't find the exact deal that they wanted, but they needed to move him, and they did. Um and who knows, maybe it'll pan. I mean, obviously, Olenek was better than Oladipo last year, and, and the, the first-round pick swap may be something. But at the time, it was certainly heavily criticized that they didn't get very much um, for Oladipo. But they – so my point is they might do that. They might buy John Wall out 
simply because they need so much time with, uh, you know, they want to develop Kevin Porter Jr. They want to develop Jalen Green. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I, I just am a little bit surprised that they, that they couldn't find somebody to take Kemba because you know how it is. I mean, these, some of these contracts, even though they're very tough to move and it, it take it, you know, forces out first round picks here and there, somebody who's in a contending status might've, you know, pulled the trigger all, compiled a few, um, you know, expiring contracts that aren't valuable to their team and, and made it happen. But We'll see. Knock on wood, something could still happen with John Wall and the Clippers. That's my one hope. I think the list for uh, somebody taking on a contract of John Wall's uh, girth, shall we say, is uh, one, and it's the Clippers. I, I really think that's it. And um, you know, otherwise, we, you know, the Rockets may be looking at buyout unless John Wall has a complete attitude change and is like, "Hey, you know what? I'll do whatever it takes. I know these guys are the future. Let's let me let me play ball. Let me, um, you know." do whatever I can. And we'll, you know, as, as time goes, the contract's going to be easier to move. What a word, what a word to describe a contract girth. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I agree. Like, listen, like it, that, that's exactly what went through my head. Like I thought that's now two smart teams, two really, really smart teams that have now given up on the prospect of m- trading Kemba Walker for positive value, right? The Celtics and the Thunder, two teams that, inevitably explore all their options right those are two really smart front offices so you know they made phone calls you know they took phone calls and you know they assessed his value and his contract isn't nearly as bad as john was so i think we kind of have a vision of what's going to happen here right i think it's at this point it's when is it going to happen? How much money is houston willing to eat? How much money is john wall willing to give back? Uh, right. My my sense is not much on John Wall's end of things, and my sense is a lot on Houston's end of things. Like they're going to have to eat a lot of money, especially if they do this sooner rather than later. Yeah, and it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, I, I'm all for John Wall getting his money. It's just how much it's, it, it truly impacts cap and and team's future and the actual on court product. That's what I'm uh, disappointed about. Um, and I I would love to see the Rockets be able to move him for mostly expirings, um, you know, simply because I would like to see the Rockets for the next two years take on contracts similar to what OKC does and pick up more assets because they're going to get to that point in in the summer of 2023, exactly two years from right from today. And they're going to want to have all these picks in their cupboard so they can flip them for win now pieces to get the exact right pieces around these young guys that they've acquired in the previous two years. So um, I would like to see them be able to use their cap room and they haven't really been able to do that. You know, they're, they're going to pick up trade exceptions probably here. Hopefully they'll be able to sign and trade Kelly Olenek to the Pistons, be able to pick up a trade exception and they can use those type of things to absorb contracts and, and, you know, pick up picks. But um, it's right now the Rockets haven't been able to do what OKC does because they, they have guys clogging up cap. Yeah, and like th- that's kind of why Houston is forced to having to forced to having to sign good contracts, right? Like they they can't they can't be the the team that takes on bad contracts for picks. They have to sign on the good assets themselves. They have to sign 
contracts that are movable so they can get back first rounders that way. It's it's the old school way of collecting first round picks for rebuilding teams, but it is a feasible way of doing so. You know, the Knicks did this a couple a couple off seasons ago, right? When they signed like 10 power forwards, right? They We knew the Knicks weren't going to go into the season or they weren't going to end the season with 10 power forwards. They were going to trade a lot of these power forwards back out of the deadline for assets. That's, that's ultimately what they ended up doing. And that's kind of what Houston's doing here, right? Like they're signing contracts that, you know, are movable, maybe not now, but in the future. And the hope is that they get back assets in return or that they can aggregate those guys for neutral or positive value. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. That's what the uh, that's what the exact hope is. So, you know, I, I'm excited to see the Encore product. I don't have any of those, that burden of contention, you know, needing to contend or win. I mean, I, I want to see them win. I want to see them grow and, and uh, you know, we're going to be rooting for the team for sure. But uh, I recognize this is a, a at least two year plan before the expectation is playoffs. And they may be, they may hit that early, but I think in 2023, 24 with everything that the way it's aligned, you expect the Rockets to be in the playoffs, that pick that goes to OKC to be in the late teens, early twenties. Um, that's my expectation. And I know it may seem early for some, but that's, I'm, I'm hoping the third season of Jalen greens is, is the one that where they start to, to show something. So we're going to talk about lineups here in a second, but like one last question before we do, do, do we see Houston spending this full mid level exception? Uh, I, it, like, I think it has to fit into everything that you've outlined. You know, I, I think it has to fit into, you know, I think ideally a two year deal with a third year option. I, anything like that is fine. Um, and preferably guys that, like you said, are on such good value contracts that would be desirable to contending teams that, you know, if they don't necessarily fit in Houston's long-term plans, but could fit somewhere else, you can flip them. So to answer your question, I kind of hope not because they are, you know, I do expect that they are going to get a trade exception. If they're able to make work a sign and trade deal with for Olenek, that would be bigger than the MLE. And if you don't use the MLE, you know, if you, I should say, if you use it, you really can't use that trade exception without probably pushing up or over the luxury tax. And I think um, you probably want to, you know, you're going to be able to get a significant more, a better return, I think, by using the trade exception than the MLE. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I think they're going to go into this season without using that full mid-level exception. And there's a bit of a roster crunch anyways. So it's not like they're, they're probably going to have to make a trade or cut somebody if, if they were to use that. Let's talk lineups. So I'm kind of racking my brain as to who's going to start for this team. It's it's really difficult. Like the only two guys that I feel like 99% certain that they're going to start are Jalen Green and Christian Wood. Other than that, like I kind of think Aragorn's going to start, but I don't know. Like I kind of think that Jay Sean Tate should start, but I, I get the sense that the Rockets might want to start Tice. And you know, I'm not sure if that's the right move, but I mean, I, I, it seems like they're that's where they're they're kind of leaning, and like the the the, the question about John Wall, like I, I'm I'm not sure how the Rockets sell to John Wall. Like, it may, listen, it's better for our future that you come off the bench and we start Kevin Porter Jr. because Ke- John Wall doesn't care about the Rockets' future. He knows he's not a part of this this core. So it's like I, I I'm having a really difficult time constructing the starting lineup. Where are you at with that? 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I think we're just about to get into the trade period. So I think a lot of things are going to change. I still personally believe that they're going to be exhausting all the options for Eric Gordon. I mean, obviously the John Wall thing and Daniel House is another guy I think has to be moved. Um, and, and I personally think will be moved. But, huh, huh, is, know, isn't I, that crazy? Like, how often do you forget that Daniel House is on this roster? I, I forget all I, the time. It's the craziest thing. I mean, they, because they, you know, came out of the bubble pretty much thinking you had to trade Daniel House, and instead everybody else has been traded except Daniel House. So it's um, it's kind of funny how that has worked out. But yeah, it just I just think it has to happen because he's got one year left on his deal. I don't know if he has any value. I, I mean, I think he he should. He's a solid role player. He can you know knock down threes can give you some some good minutes but can, you know is there value where you can get a second round pick for him um you know we'll see but i think that they they do need to move him so i to answer your question i i don't i i tend to think john wall that there's going to be some sort of resolution i may be wrong but i tend to think that's what's going to happen before the season it's either going to be you know the the hail mary trade and that would probably be something like the clippers or that he's bought out um and so I think you're going to end up r- running with KPJ. I don't think you can go another year with KPJ coming off the bench. I, again, I could be wrong, but I think that they're grooming him as the starting point guard. Um, I, you know, I don't know if they're going to necessarily be patient. And after that, it's it's really tough um, because, like I said, if if Eric Gordon's still on your team, he's been fine coming as a six coming off the bench as a six man, and I think he'd be willing to do it again. I don't think he has that sort of you got to start me type of mentality. I think he'll do whatever it takes knowing that the Rockets are trying to work with him to find, you know, a contending team that he fits on. And, and I think he'll play, you know, good soldier as far as his time with the Rockets. Um, And then after that, I I mean, it's obviously Christian Wood. And then I, I really don't (laughs) know who starts at power forward. I I, I assume Jay Sean Tate, because even though he's, kind of a three, four, I, I think he's probably going to have uh, the experience. And I think you're going to let Garuba and Shangun prove themselves. Um, maybe time win the G league, but, but, you know, certainly in practice and, uh, you know, coming off the bench and playing roles. So, but that's, I think that's how I would, I don't even know if I necessarily did break it down, but I would probably go Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate, Jalen Green, KPJ, and, uh, who am I missing here? Uh, I I, I kind of want to say Eric Gordon, but I you know I, I feel like he'd be willing to come off the bench. So, um, but at the same time, they don't really have many small forwards, do they? Huh? Like it's like it's this roster is pretty much entirely guards and bigs, <laughs> and there's really not much in between. Like other than Tate, there's not really a wing on this roster. Well, it's interesting, right? Because you, well, I, you definitely know Jalen Green is your future at the two. I mean, I, you know, assuming he doesn't bust here, I you know over the next couple of years. Jalen Green is your starting point guard, or excuse me, starting two guard for the foreseeable future. That's the one thing you can lock in. You feel like you can lock in KPJ as well. I think it's not as a sure thing as as Jalen Green is, but I think that's probably a safe bet. And until there's a decision on Christian Wood, Christian Wood's your center, then if that's your trio, who who are the prototypes that you want around that? I, I mean, I assume you want the best three and D guys you can get at a three and a four spot. I mean, that's, that's the tough part. I mean, I, the tough part, I don't know if Christian Woods, that elite rim protector, hopefully he can be. Um, 
you know, what's the prototype four and what's the prototype three? I, from a, a three standpoint, I would really like to have a guy who can knock down uh, at an elite level um, the three point shot because I think that's what you're going to need around these guys. KPJ is not an elite three point shooter. He got better uh, as the season went on last year, but he's not there. This team definitely needs some shooting, in my opinion. Here's what I'll say. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to assume John Wall starts the season with the Rockets, right? Like that, that's going to be my guess. Uh, I'll say he gets bought out midseason, but for right now, let's just assume he starts. So I'm going to say John Wall is a starter. I'm going to assume Jalen Green is a starter. I'm going to assume, I guess if, 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 if it were me, if I were Silas, I would probably start Eric Gordon at the small forward position. And, you know, although you hear stuff about, you know, maybe Tice starting next to Christian Wood, I personally like the versatility of Tate next to Christian Wood. And I like the idea of Garuba uh, and Tice being that backcourt tandem or the, that that frontcourt tandem in off the bench. Um, and I kind of think, you know, I, I kind of think as much as I like Sengun, I think he's going to spend a good bit of the season in the G League. Like he still has to learn the NBA game. He has to learn the language, you know, like that's, that's a big barrier. Uh, and like he has to get adapted to all this. And I think having a season in the G League, learning an NBA offense and an NBA defense might be beneficial for him. So I'm going to assume he is a G League player. And at this backup small forward position, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Nuaba, right? Because I, I think most people see him as a guard, but there's really no small forwards on this roster. So I'm just going to say he's a guard. And then probably Kevin Porter Jr. to back it out in the front in the backcourt. Like I, I think that's kind of where... I would put things and probably Kevin Martin right there. I mean, KJ Martin, I'm sorry, uh, right there next to Kevin Porter Jr. Until John Wall gets bought out. Like, I think that's probably the where the Rockets end up going. We'll see. But it, this this is really going to be an awkward situation until John Wall gets bought out. Yeah. You know, I, I want to see, the, the question I have too is the what the analytics say about KPJ and Jalen Green with Daniel Tice versus those two with Christian Wood. Um, you know, Tice is such a good screen setter. Um, you know, how significant is his role going to be with those guys? And again, it could play into the eventual question of is Christian Wood part of your future? I think the Rockets have a lot of young, exciting guys, a lot of guys we want to watch grow. There's going to be a reason to watch the Vipers. Vegas Summer League is going to be just incredible. Um, and and personally, I think Usman Garuba is going to be in the summer league. So I, you know, I, it hasn't hasn't come out yet, but I think he will be in it. And I think you're going to have a lot of guys that you're going to be excited to watch. Uh, I think Garuba is a, a, the kind of guy that could be at the starting power forward for the Houston Rockets long term. But you've got to get better or more significant pieces around uh, that type of player at four because he probably is your fourth or fifth best player certainly offensively if your fifth best player um on that team he's similar in that regard to pj tucker so he's he's just got that one elite skill so we'll see I, I there's just so much to watch for the rockets this year i'm excited to see all the development the next significant date on the calendar for the rockets is this upcoming saturday sunday right with summer league i'm really excited oh, yeah. i can't wait to get out there it's going to be really really hot and really, really fun because the the Rockets have probably the most exciting summer league roster right now. As I think so, at least uh, because they're starting, they're probably going to have Jalen Green, Sengun, and Garuba all out there at once. 
Um, and it's going to be really fun. Those are those are guys who all, were all projected to be lottery picks, and they're and they're right. all going to be on the Rockets summer league roster. Yeah, I, to me, it's the most exciting summer league since 2012 when they had you know Terrence Jones and Royce White and uh, Jeremy Lamb and Donatus Motiunas, and there was like four guys that you and and the Rockets were in a period of transition. It was just before the Harden trade. It looked. Things were, were very exciting, and that's the same type of team that they're going to have here. And then furthermore, just the schedule, every one of these games is against a top five pick. So it's, you know, it's perfect as far as the draft. To go from right from the draft into this Vegas Summer League with the schedule that we have, is uh, it, it's just going to be – it's great for Rocket fans who have been dying to watch the team play and, and have something to be excited about. Vegas Summer League is perfect. Yeah, that schedule was very intentionally designed by the NBA and um, a very a really smart move. Most of these games are going to be in UNLV, the big gym, so it's going to be fun. By the way, did, did Royce White like fly to Summer League? He drove, right? He drove to Summer League. To be honest with you, I don't remember how he got there. It, it wasn't as big of an issue. He must have drove there. It was to Vegas, right? So it was, yeah. I must have drove there, I, but... Boy, that uh, I mean, he showed flashes there. I mean, he he really did. I was very excited about his potential. I was on board with the pick. I I loved that they were swinging for the fences and going high upside. It was a little early when they took him. That some people thought he'd go a little later. It turned out he was going to go to the next pick to the Dallas Mavericks, but um, it it seemed early as far as mocks and everything. But you know that that was that was one of the biggest. <laughs> One of the biggest busts, they, probably the biggest draft pick bust the Rockets have ever had, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, 2012 was a really interesting time to be a Rockets fan. Like the, That entire Summer League roster was really entertaining. Uh, Jeremy Lamb was supposed to be, in some people's eyes, the next Tracy McGrady, you know, one Summer League MVP. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was an interesting time. And, uh, you know, a couple months later, the Rockets trade for a bearded, a bearded number 13. And, you know, yeah. the rest is history. Yeah, and if he didn't have such a good summer league, who knows? Maybe they wouldn't have been able to, in a position to get him. But um, Jeremy Lamb was the the key piece. Uh, you know, s- certainly in that trade, Kevin Martin was important too. But, yeah, that um, – and the funny thing is my initial reaction was, wow, you know, they, they got a good player. I I didn't see James Harden becoming that big of a star. I, I The Rockets said it right away. They felt that he was – they felt once you put him in this feature position, watch how good he is. And I knew he was a good player. There's no doubt about that. I didn't know he was that good. Um, and, you know, it was a fun eight years, certainly, with James Harden. Well, listen, I've taken up far too much of your time. I really appreciate you coming on to Talk Rockets with me. Uh, where can we follow you on Twitter and find your website? Hey, anytime. Uh, it's clutchfans.net is the website. You can follow me on Twitter at clutchfans. And, uh, yeah, I like just it's a fun Rockets group of us. I'm talking on Twitter and on the Clutch Fans forums. All right, I'll talk to you down on, dude. All right. Thanks, buddy. Later.